1 John 4, concluding that chapter tonight, as we near the end of a year-long journey through the writings of the Apostle John, one of the dominant influences in Christian history have been the writings of John. Someone has said the theology of Christianity is Pauline, that is, the writings of Paul and his point of view, and I suppose Paul has shaped uh, Christian history and theology more than anybody else in very many ways. But someone has said the heart of Christianity is Johannine, that is, the writings of John and his point of view. And the very personal and intimate look that John gives us into the nature of God and into the person of the Lord Jesus. Tonight we consider the light hardening. 1 John 4, 14 to 21. Now in this passage, the statement that was made in the verses we considered this morning, that greatest statement that has ever been made, that God is love, is repeated. How many doors it opens when we recognize that God is love. How many questions it answers when we accept the fact that God is love and accept that fact in the place of all of the answers that very humanly and inwardly we, we expect God to answer every question. How many questions it answers to our satisfaction when we can recognize that God who can see all, God who knows what we do not know, who has the long look at any situation, that that God who is in control is love. It is the explanation of creation. You see, God could not live in lonely isolation. God had to have somebody to love. His love is the explanation of creation. It is the explanation of God's patience. For I think it well for the human race that no human who has ever lived ever sat on the throne, for we grow very short of patience with ourselves and with others. And we cry with the psalmist, Lord, how long will it be? We go to the book of Revelation. Revelation and see there the cry coming from beneath the altar before the throne of God where the martyrs are, where those killed during the great tribulation lie waiting the resurrection in the second coming and even they cry, Lord, how long? And it is the fact that God is love that explains his patience and his goodness. But Peter writes, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should know him and come to repentance. You see, it is also the explanation of free will. There are two things that are true, and I, I pledge not to get too deep into theology tonight, but there are two things equally true that seem to conflict, and yet Christianity is not... Uh, fully biblical without both of them. The one of them is what is called the sovereignty of God. That is that God like, now I don't want to make a crass comparison like a 200-pound canary or something, but like that 200-pound canary, the sovereignty of God says God can do anything God wants to do. But there is another truth, a truth that exists parallel to that truth all the way through the Bible, equally true that cannot be denied that we cannot rationalize with our minds. And that is the fact that man is free to do what he wants to do. 
You see, it is God's love which forms the bridge between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and explains how the two can exist in the same universe. For you see, love must be by choice. And any way you slice it, if you paint the sovereignty of God to mean that God determines ahead of time on his own who will be saved without man's free will, then you have God making himself a race of robots. And you can neither love a robot nor can you get love from a robot. And the nature of agape love is that it must give itself to something that can return it. And so the love of God, those three little words, God is love, become the explanation to probably the biggest controversy in the history of the Christian church. How can the sovereignty of God and his elective purposes exist alongside the free will of man to do as he pleases? It is because of the love of God, because love must be by choice. It is the love of God which explains our redemption. For though we cannot know the fullness of his love, we can see that the only motivation a holy and righteous God would have in putting skin on and going to the cross for the likes of us is his love. It explains our redemption and explains our pardon. For every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, it is as though we have gone to a bar of justice where sits a judge who never makes an unjust decision. And he has looked at us but not seen our sins for they have been covered, atoned for, as we talked about this morning, by the blood of Jesus. And he says, you are not guilty. You are set free. It explains our pardon. We are pardoned by the light. So let us consider these remaining verses in 1 John chapter 4. Notice first of all in verses 14 and 15. Here is what I have designated simply salvation. What does the light pardoning mean? First of all and most obviously it means salvation. John writes and we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John saw, he says, and he swears that God sent his Son into the world. You know, over and again in the letter of 1 John, he is very careful to state this kind of a thing. Now the reason is, as we have studied previously in 1 John, there were the Gnostic teachers, the knowers, two or three kinds of them, who said that Jesus either was not a man or that he was not God. Some said that Jesus of Nazareth was a good man and when he was baptized in the river Jordan, the presence of God came on him. And when he went to the cross before he was nailed to the cross, the presence of God left him. And you see, that means that God didn't die for us and according to correct Christian belief about God, there's no salvation. 
That's one of the things John had to fight. Others of them said God is righteous and everything that is physical is evil. So they said Jesus was God, but he was not a man. He didn't have a real body. He just looked like a man, and if you touched him, you'd grab thin air. But now John begins this letter by saying that we've seen him, we've beheld him, and our hands have touched him. John is very careful to say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was not a, an illusion. He was not a good man, but he was the unique and only begotten Son of God. And John says that God abides in those who fully accept Jesus as Lord. There is no other meeting place between God and man than Jesus Christ. If any individual in any race, in any nation, from any culture, with any religious background in the world wants to find God, God will be found only in Jesus Christ. In Him is salvation. To acknowledge Him as teacher does not save. To see him as superstar or as a great man does not save. Only as he is accepted as what he is, God's Son and your Savior personally, is there any salvation. The light pardoning means salvation. Then secondly, in verses 16 and 17, the light pardoning means security. John says, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected or made whole with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in this world. Now, the tense of the verbs in the first part of verse 16 says this, we have known and still know, we have believed and still believe the love which God has given to us. You see, since God is love, to dwell in love is to dwell in God. And to be indwelt by love is to be indwelt by God. Our love, the love which we have that is genuine, is really His love in us. Actually, it is Him in us bringing His nature into us. And that is our security. The light pardoning means security. And what is our security? It is the fact that holy, righteous, omnipotent, almighty God himself dwells within us as we abide in him. He abides in us. His love in us, John says gives us confidence in the day of judgment. Now, we've seen that word confidence twice before in the book of 1 John, and it means literally freedom of speech. 
John says his love for us, our security, the fact that he loves us so much, he dwells within us, that security gives us freedom of speech at the day of judgment to say what we want to say to him as our Lord. We are secure because he is in us. The light pardoning means salvation. It means security, eternal, unending security for the believer. And then notice in verses 18 and 19, the light pardoning means satisfaction. John says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected or completed or matured in love. We love because he first loved us. The light pardoning means satisfaction. Now in the first part of verse 18, literally, the Greek says, fear is not in love. I like that better. I wish they just translated it that way. That's what it says. Fear is not in love. And if there is no fear there will be satisfaction. You see, he spoke in the previous verse about freedom of speech or about confidence, about boldness. Fear is the opposite of that. Where that kind of confidence is, fear is not. And where fear is, that kind of confidence is not. His love has removed our sins. The Bible tells us that when we confess he forgives and restores, 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just. The Old Testament tells us that he separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. And if his love has removed our sins that far away, if, as another scripture says, he has taken our sin and the memory of our sin and our guilt and thrown it into a sea of forgetfulness behind his back, if that is true, what else is there to fear? What else? He says fear has punishment. He means fear involves the fear of punishment. Now, fear means self-interest. Think about that. Why are we afraid when we are afraid? Well, because something may happen to us. Fear involves harm. Fear involves punishment. And John says it is the proof of immaturity. John doesn't say, love God or else. Not at all. What he says is, love God because he loves you. Not love God or else. That's the kind of fear that is self-centered. And I think the history of the church has been written in large measure around the world by many who served God out of a fear of punishment who said to themselves, though they might not have comprehended it, I must do this or 
else God will do thus and such. That's not saving faith. That's unholy fear. Because fear has punishment. Now we respect the Lord and the Old Testament reads, at least in our English translations, it reads the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. But they, those are two entirely different concepts and two entirely different words. That kind of fear is a kind of a holy respect, like the respect that a child has for their parent, knowing if that parent is a good parent and a consistent disciplinarian, that a breaking of the rules or that a doing something wrong brings a, a punishment. Now that's one thing. But this is quite another. He is talking about a terror, a fear of a tyrant, a fear of harm, a fear that knows no love. We respect him, and in that way perhaps we fear him, but not as cowering before a tyrant. The world today needs this message for the predominant and most destructive of all modern emotions is fear. In 1971, the American Medical Association estimated, now this is seven years ago, that nearly a thousand people a day were dying as a direct result of what they call simple nervous tension, fear. That was seven years ago. I'd I'm sure that by now the figure is much higher. The world needs this message. Only in God is there any freedom from fear. Only in Jesus is there any satisfaction. John says there is no fear in love. A little child is not afraid of a loving parent. Our little boy is almost a year old. Give him another three weeks, he'll make it if he lives that long. And he's a good kid. He really is. Everybody, people are always telling me how good David is. And David is good, but David's very mobile now. And I promise it is no exaggeration to say that in any given week, David will get busted for doing the same thing a hundred times. No exaggeration. And it has gotten to the point now where little David puddles over to something and reaches up to touch it, waiting to be hit. Now, I don't understand all of that, but, you know, they tell us that children want discipline. They want consistency out of their parents, and he is asking for it, literally. But he's not afraid of us. Goodness, if he was afraid, he'd just hightail it out when he does something. He doesn't. He sits there and you walk over and he goes like this and waits to be hit and then he goes on his business. He may ball for two seconds. You put him down, he goes back to the same place. But he's not afraid of us. Now, a little child with loving parents is not afraid of the parents. Now, I've never had the experience. I don't really want it. But you parents, would it not break your heart if your child ran from you in terror and unreasoning fear, wouldn't it break your heart? Now, don't you think it breaks God's heart when we're afraid and there's no reason to be afraid and the bottom line of our fear really is that we just don't trust Him? 
you see there is no fear in love. Our fear now, if you love Him and if you know Him, our fear is of grieving God, not of what God may do to us. In verse 19, John says, We love... Now, some of our English translations say, We love Him. Folks, that hymn was an editorial addition. It's not in the Greek. John says, we love, period. We love because he first loved us. No object of love is in view, just the fact of it. We just love. I didn't have time to do it, but I wanted to set a lamp up here tonight and take the shade off and just leave the electric light bulb because we approach this thing all wrong. I wish I had a nickel for every time I'd heard somebody say, every time I'd said, or every time I'd been told, I have tried to love so-and-so, and I just can't do it. Folks, that's the wrong approach. God didn't ask you to try to love anybody. Now read what John says. Read chapter 4. Read the whole thing. It's only 21 verses long. What John says is just like that light in the lamp. The light is either on or it is off. If you love, it's on. If you don't, it's off. And if it's off, he's not there. Now does that make sense? That is exactly what John says. And the best thing that you have said when you say, I just can't love so-and-so is that you're carnal, and the worst thing and the most obvious thing you've said is that you're lost. It's just like turning on a light. It's that simple. Read what he says. It's not a matter of interpretation. We love, period, because he first loved us. And it's simple. Is the light on? If it is, Jesus is there. If it's not, he's not there. Pardon means satisfaction. And then notice the heart of the passage, verses 20 and 21. The light pardoning means that we have good sight. Sight, perception, understanding, whatever you want to call it. I said sight because it starts with an S and it alliterates with the other three. And the question is very simple. Do you see? Do I see? Do we see? John writes, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now about 20 times in the book of 1 John, at least 20, maybe more, John gives a test. He'd have made a great school teacher. He's always given a test. The end of the semester, his... his point system would have been about that long. He's always given a test. And here's another one. He says, very simple. Here's the test. Someone says, I love God. Now the answer to the question, do you love others? 
Well, what others? Others. Well, who? I do some and some I don't. Well, you got a problem. You see? John says, if a man says, I love God, but he doesn't love his brother, he's a liar. Now, you know I don't like that word liar, and I don't like to talk about people lying. Every now and again, somebody will say, well, I'm sure that none of us would ever lie. That's a joke, folks. You know, unless you're not a sinner, you're subject to tell a lie. And most of us are sinners. And it's so silly to play that game. Now, I didn't use the word liar. John used the word liar. In the Greek, it's liar. In the German, it's liar. In the English, it's liar. That's what he says. If someone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. And that's the test that John gives. Now, the one who does not love may love a God of his own making. He may love a God that is a figment of his imagination, a God that will let him hate, which is opposite of the nature of the true God, but he doesn't love the true God. Well, it can be interpreted that way. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Pray tell me. How else to interpret it? You see, it involves sight. Now, that's one mark of someone who's religious and is not saved. John covered that in chapter 2 of this epistle. The one who isn't loving doesn't know they're not loving. They don't understand. They don't have sight, and everybody else can see. You know, in 1 John chapter 1, John says... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He doesn't say it fools anybody else. But self is deceived. The one who does not love others may love a God of his own making, a God made in his own image, but he doesn't love Jesus. You see, for John, there is no gray area you either do or you don't. You can read 1 John a hundred times, diagram it, study it topically, break it down into where he talks about love and hate and where he talks about salvation. Break it down any way you want to. John will never admit that there's any middle ground between love and hatred, between the light and the darkness. In chapter 1, he said God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, have you ever seen a light that shines this way and doesn't shine that way? That's just as reasonable as it is to suspect that somebody who's genuinely saved loves somebody over here and doesn't love someone over here. Jesus said that the heathen love those that love them. That doesn't mean anything. Nothing means absolutely nothing. The light is either on or it's not. And the light pardoning means that we have good vision, that we have sight, that we understand that God is love and in Him is no darkness at all. You see, if we truly know God, we share His nature. And His nature is love. The one who knows God will love. He will not be able to help it. 
And as John has said in this epistle, and as John quoted the Lord Jesus in John chapter 13, a life of love is the only evidence there is that you love Jesus. It is the only evidence there is. What John is really saying is that love for God cannot exist without love for others. Remember the man I quoted this morning who said, when you love somebody, you are not concerned about what they may do to you. You are concerned about what you may do to them. God himself is the source of our love. Our love is his gift. It can only come from him. Thus, the presence or absence of a loving heart toward all is a valid test of salvation. Oh, don't judge, don't judge. I'm not judging, I'm reading the Bible. If a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he is a liar. John said in chapter 2 of this letter, he has never come into the light. Since God is the source of our love, since our love can come only from Him, love is a valid test of salvation. If you are saved, you will love because He first loved you. The light pardons. It means salvation. It means security. It means satisfaction. And it means sight. It means that we will see, not with a carnal eye of a small person, but with the eyes of love that belong to Jesus. And the question that the text leaves as plainly as it possibly can is just like if that lamp were standing right here, is the light on or is it off? If it's not on, you can remedy it right now. You can be saved. You can give your heart to Jesus. You can quit trusting in whatever it is you've put your faith in and start trusting in Jesus. In Him, in Him alone is their salvation. John says, I have seen and I bear witness that God sent His Son into the world to be the Savior of the world. May we pray. Father, I thank You that the Word is a two-edged sword. And I thank you that as we put on our armor for the warfare that you've called us to in this world as commanded in Ephesians 6, that we are commanded to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and use it. Father, deliver us from faith in anything but the blood of Jesus. Now, Lord, you know our hearts. I thank you for the text tonight. I thank you that the light pardons, that we have been set free, that we are safe, that we are satisfied, that we can see good because you've saved us. Now, Father, may the Word do its work Every Christian stands indicted by the Word of God. 
when you touch us where it hurts. May we respond with confession and repentance so that we may be restored. And if there are those who are not saved, Father, be they within or without the church, I pray that tonight they will truly be saved. Father, I thank you for what you will do. I thank you for your promise that the word will not return void without having done its work. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Amen.